This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. It's a happy Tuesday for most people. For some, it's not. But today, we're pumped because we are in the studio at the Village Church Q&A podcast with Pastor Will Franco. He's the campus pastor at Tri-Village Church in Streamwood. It's about five, seven, eight minutes away from the Village Church of Bartlett. So we're pumped to have you. And uh, this week, we got you all week long. We're going to ask really difficult questions. Today, the question is, how do I navigate singleness as a Christian? Mm. But before we answer that. Let's talk about your heritage a little bit because mm-hmm. um, you are half Puerto Rican mm-hmm. and half Cuban. So tell us about how your family got to the United States of America. My mom, being Puerto Rican, being a you know U.S. citizen already, it, her her process was easy. She just got on a plane and mm-hmm. you know and flew over. My dad, on the other hand, uh, had a different experience. Uh, when he was twenty one, there was a lot of political turmoil going on in Cuba. And like uh, Fidel Castro or something like Fidel, that. Yeah, yeah, Fidel Castro. Yeah. And, and is that his name? That's, that's his oh, name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so he, Fidel Castro, there ended up being this really big conflict at the Peruvian embassy. And there were some Cubans who had jumped the fence and wanted to leave. And so Fidel reached out to the Peruvian uh, president and said, hey, send these Cubans back. And he's like, no, if they don't want to be in Cuba, they don't want to be in Cuba. And so that started this just huge, just political divide. And it ended up happening that not only all those Cubans that ended up getting into the Peruvian embassy that day left, never, never stepped on Cuban land again. They, they were just taken and taken to Peru. That started making Fidel think was, wait, maybe Cubans don't want to be here. I don't know why he didn't think. I don't know why. I don't know why he, yeah. he didn't get that email. When but. I take their land and their property and their freedom <laughs> yeah. and their rights, well, maybe they not want to be right. here. I'm so benevolent. Right. Yeah. So then he stood up in front of the people and said, hey, if you want to leave, you can leave. You just have to come up with your own. Someone has to come pick you up. I won't provide a boat for you. Someone has to come get you. And so my dad's uncle had come in the mid 70s. And so he took all his life savings and, and just bought a boat and uh, drove down to Florida got to Florida, left uh, left the port, and he was in the water for only a few minutes and turned out there was a hole in the boat. He almost dies. They rescue him. They bring him back. So he's devastated, thinking he's not going to be able to go get his family. And then he found a Cuban fisherman who had a bigger boat. And so then he went with him. He paid him, and he went with him. And so they got to Cuba. And then what they do is they let they make the boats wait in the in the in the bay area. And even though your ride is there technically, they make you wait for weeks. Like even though you could just leave, they do it on purpose because they were so angry that Cubans were were leaving. And so they had almost this concentration camp thing going on at the at the at the at the shore, where you just lived in a tent pretty much with a bunch of people. And so finally, my dad and his family, my dad, his sister, and my his parents. Uh, were were chosen to go. And as they were getting on the boat, all of a sudden, these random guys who neither the fishermen nor my dad's family knew started getting get put on the boat. And they're like, who are these guys? We didn't come to pick these people up. Well, it turned out that Fidel was so angry that the United States was taking in Cubans that he emptied out every prison and every wow. and every mental every mental ward. And so my dad and his family were on was they were on a boat with murderers, rapists, uh psychopaths. And um yeah, my dad said it was a horrible trip. There was people throwing up overboard. You would have to go it's to the back. Ninety miles. Yeah, and on a raft, on a not a raft, but on a on a on a fisherman. But who knows how well built that was? And so, yeah, it was a, a horrible experience. So, he, anyways, he came here in eighty one, and then him and my mom met in 85, 84. Uh, they were both taking an English class at Northeastern University, and so night school English class, and that's how they met. That's amazing. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, where do you, where are your parents now? 
Uh, they actually attend Tri Village Church. Sweet. Yeah, so that's very uh, cool. My dad is the the wisecracking uh, greeter that everyone sees when as he walks in, and then and then my mom helps with hospitality and she helps in different areas as well. Yeah. They they lead a small group from their house, and they still live in Bartlett actually, yeah. where the house I grew up in. That's amazing. So is it ever weird for your mom and dad to like have their son preach sermons to them? It is. It is. Yeah. Especially since I'm not shy to bring up my past yeah. and, and, and just bring Let me up. Let tell you about my mom's <laughs> junk. <laughs> yeah. Like. She used to do these terrible things. Yeah. Oh, she's right there. Yeah. Yeah. It was funny. Is, <laughs> and it was funny is one day, actually a couple of weeks ago, I said something about family members who were, who were, who, who were in prison. I'm like, I got a crazy family. I've had people in prison in my family. And she comes up to me later and she's like, well, why are you lying and saying you have family in prison? I started listing people yeah. off and she's like, oh, well, never mind. My, never. my, my mom has actually said to me, she's like, sometimes, sometimes I don't feel like you tell the truth. And I'm like, maybe one time. And she's like, I don't know that it exactly happened that way. And I'm like, that's how I see it. Like, I don't have any other recollection exactly right. other than the one that I saw, exactly you know? Right. So like, here we go. Exactly right. But it, it is interesting. Like my, cause my mom uh, listens to our podcasts and our sermons and whatnot. And I bring her up all the time. Cause she's, I think one of the most interesting people on the planet and she's been really influential in my life. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, and she's a trip and a half. And so like, I love kind of just razzing her, you, though, have to, you know, you have to, and uh, this Sunday, can, will, oh, yeah. I know really. So like, she's like, but Michael, it's public. Like you're publicizing <laughs> this stuff. And I'm like, it's fine. You know, it's fine. But this Sunday, what were you, you going to say? Oh yeah. This Sunday I was telling the story. Anyways, I'm just, you know, I'm like, and I know my mother's listening right now, you know? So like, I'll talk to her in the middle of a sermon and, uh, it's just, it's funny. She's, that's she makes me laugh, but that's great. it is weird though. Cause uh, just, uh, she's always like, I can't believe my son is a pastor, yeah, you know? Cause I, I was that. a little hoodlum, you know? And, mm -hmm. and, uh, I just got in a lot of trouble and, and, and she just couldn't believe it. And so it's really weird cause she still remembers like, you know, having to get me out of jail yeah. in my junior year of high school. And, and now I'm like preaching and right. Anyway, so let's get back to our question. Let's, do it. let's right. do it. How do I navigate singleness as, as a Christian? So we're, we're talking about questions that are common questions you get as a pastor. So tell us just about your church and um, your experience with working with singles in the church, whether it's been the Hispanic church or tri-village church, and then um, talk to them. Like, how do you navigate this? I mean, this is, this is gut wrenching yeah. uh, on some levels. And for some people it's easy. So yeah. I was a young adults pastor for a few years, so I got to see it firsthand. But I thought this was something that was going to not be as big of an issue. But now that I'm in this this role, we've attracted a lot of young adults who are single and are trying to figure out what the next step for them is. And I think it's so hard for them to understand that their value doesn't come from a, from another person. Um, it, it, everything they need has already been given to them in the gospel. Sometimes you would think it's the world, like the the world, quote unquote, the bad world out there that makes them feel that way. But a lot of times it's the church. You know, I think the church and we we have a, a tendency to worship family and to worship commitment and, we, you know, and children, all great things. But I think if you're not careful, you can make good things, God things. And when you do that, um, not only are you affecting yourself because you're, you're worshiping something smaller than Jesus, but you also affect those people who are not in that season of life. And you almost look at single people and you say, hey, I can't wait until you actually start living life. You know what I mean? Like it, it'll, it'll be over soon, you know, like, like they're in like purgatory or something, you know? <laughs> and I just, I just, yeah. So I've seen that a lot with the young adults we've gotten and, and, and not even just the young, we have, we have other people who I feel like maybe God's given them the gift of singleness who are older in their years, who've never been married and then don't seem like they ever will be. And so navigating with them is tough too. Yep. So one of the things we tell our singles is uh, that God has, God has put inside of every person a propensity toward marriage, hmm. a propensity towards a monogamous lifelong commitment. Sin obviously dismantles that and makes hmm. us want to be selfish and self-centered and et cetera. But um, from the beginning, um, 
God says basically a man shall leave, you know, his family, cleave mm-hmm. to a wife. That's a good thing. And what you do see is in every culture is a propensity to towards another person. And mm-hmm. when that when that relationship is severed through infidelity, mm. um, that it is painful on unique levels that nobody can even begin to understand unless you've gone through it. Amen. But so like here's here's what we tell our singles: like your desire is a God infused propensity. But here's the deal: you might have a lot of propensities, and a lot of the things that God has made us to be compelled toward, whether it's sexual or whatnot, these are good propensities. Mm-hmm. But if God doesn't give you the opportunity to express these in a biblical context, then He's giving you everything you need. You just said it, everything you need to be godly, mm-hmm. everything you need to be content, mm-hmm. and uh, it's that tension of like acknowledging, um, acknowledging the fact that your body and your soul are geared towards something mm-hmm. that you're not able to actually enact on, mm-hmm. and there is a tension that is hard, and so um, singleness is hard for most people. And if you're mm-hmm. called to singleness for most people, there is a small or large death depending on the person that they have to grieve and say, okay. There is this like soul propensity towards marriage, and I have to I have to just let that go, mm-hmm. um, and that's I, I just it's very challenging. But I like that I love the way you said it. Uh, a good thing could be a God thing, you know, if you make it bigger than Jesus, mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. that to me is like marriage is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Kids are a good thing. It's normal for a for a mom and a da- a man and a woman to want to have a legacy of children yep. and faith. Yep. That's, mm-hmm. that's that's fine. But that's not more important than what Jesus mm-hmm. gives you and allows you or asks you to do now. Mm-hmm. Like whatever he gives you, like this is this is the most important thing. Yep. You know? So what do you say to a, a single person who says, uh, I want to be married. I don't feel called to singleness. And I'm very frustrated because God has not given me this yet. Um, I want to bear children. I'm Maybe I'm in my late 20s or early 30s. Uh, I can't find a guy. Uh, how, what do you say to this person who does not has no sense of calling towards singleness? What I have to say, I, I, I've had several conversations like this in the past year. I, what what I have to say is, I, I I try to explain to them the concept of next stage idolatry. Um, and next stage idolatry is, you know, when you're when you're at your parents' house, you're convinced that everything's going to be better once you move out. And then when you move out, you're convinced everything's going to be better once you find someone. And when you find someone, you're convinced everything will get fixed when I marry that person. And when we have kids and, and when we retire. And it just keeps getting, you just keep kicking the ball further down the field thing. And that'll be what'll finally satisfy me. And so I think one of the mistakes that both the single person makes and the married people make is the single person looks at the married person and says, man, you could just tell everything and their life is fixed. Everything's mm-hmm. better now because they have someone to do life with. And unfortunately, married people give off that vibe at church. You know what I mean? They want people to think that their marriage is great. Mm-hmm. They want them to think. They want people to look and say, wow, what an amazing couple, you know, even if they're not an amazing couple, right? And so it's this, It's I was talking about this in a different context about the American dream that that a lot of immigrants come here for the American dream. My family came here for the American dream. And actually before we came to know the Lord, which I didn't become a Christian until I was 18, um, we, without was the gospel, we were believing, you know, and the people who have made it and are the wealthy people, they know they're not satisfied, but they're not going to tell anyone below them that because they want everyone to look up to them and say, wow, that's where I want to be. You know, have you seen the study? Uh, basically it was what amount of money do people need to make to make, to be happy. Mm-mm. And so what uh, social scientists found is that um, once somebody makes $70,000 a year, that there is 
a little to no increase in happiness, um, huh. no matter how big their house is, no matter how much better their vacations wow. are. Wow. So their one of their points was that with every with every ten thousand dollars comes um, an increase of responsibility, huh. with a weight and a distraction and a busyness. Mm. And so the more you make, the more you're responsible for, the more wow. it wears on you, and it actually um, significantly often decreases your level of happiness. So huh. like the pinnacle amount of money. To have the maximum amount of happiness in America would be seventy thousand wow, dollars, and that would that. be like the—that's the baseline because it's not enough. It's enough that if you do the right things in the right way, you can save and not be broke. Um, but it's also not enough to distract you, where mm. you're constantly having to worry about where's your money going, what's mm. happening. Um, and so it's an interesting. It was just an interesting number, you know. Yeah. yeah. And uh, but the the revelation was that people who make one hundred fifty thousand dollars aren't happier than those who make wow. seventy thousand. Wow. Never thought and, of that. Uh, and so they had all these metrics for how you measure happiness mm. and um, how you don't measure it and whatnot. And of course, like it's a totally secular study on the one hand. Right. Right. Know? Right. Right. But it is interesting, even yeah. even on secular yeah. metrics. Yeah. You're like, oh wow! Like, if I get that raise, uh, it, you know, I maybe have built my standard of living too high to the point where I need that extra money. But if you really do build your life around that level, they're they're saying that your maximum wow. happiness. Can wow! Be and I think that's what the, the, I, and the reason why. I, first of all, I got to go find that because I'm definitely going to use that. Yeah, in sermon. yeah, that'd be great. But the but the the that's the same concept I see in marriage. Like people will get into marriage and and because the propensity of Christians is to put masks on when we come to church. I think couples do that as well. And so single people see this couple and they're like, man, I can't wait for my life to be fixed. And for me never to have to worry about anything else, you know? And I think it was Tim Keller who said, you know, when you put two vacuums together, all you get is a bigger vacuum. Yep. That's say that again. When you get two, when you put two vacuums together, all you get is a bigger vacuum. Yep. And then they suck the life double. It's like horsepower, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Two horses are a lot stronger than one. And right. Two vacuums can suck yep. way more soul energy yep. out of a culture and community than. Uh, I just found the the study here, Princeton University's Woodrow Wilson School. Um, the question is, does money buy happiness? They mm. say um, up to seventy five thousand dollars. Um, is the number another study did 70,000, but that's basically the 75,000. Mm. The lower a person's annual income falls below that benchmark, the unhappier she feels. Mm. And then, um, the higher, um, uh, that, that is the peak. Once mm. you hit that, there's not an increase of happiness mm. on all the major metrics. Wow. So, not cool. No, you got to send me that, man. I would Done. love to, to check that out. Done. Yeah. Use it as an illustration. And, uh, so if you make a hundred thousand, you should be giving the church 25. <laughs> Amen, brother. If you want to be peak happy, you know, that's... <laughs> <laughs> that can be really manipulative really yeah. fast. Well, you you're know? talking to the guy who just this past Sunday made a prosperity joke because I was talking about how my TV has gotten bigger over the years. Yeah. And then I, I said the joke. I said, uh, I'm like, you know, I don't believe in prosperity, but I'm living it. <laughs> I, I, I don't believe in prosperity. And then, and then uh, I, I sit down and the first thing my wife says to me is, hey, not great sermon. She's like, prosperity? Well, really? That's what we're going to go what with? We're gonna do. That's what we're going to do? That's how we're doing it? Yeah, there's a <laughs> there's a special loathing. If, if like this was your podcast and I came in and said, what are the five most frequent questions you get asked, I would totally lie and I would put one on that is, oh, people ask me all the time about prosperity gospel just so I can rant on the immorality of those bad people Amen, preaching bro. it who are Amen. stealing money and making poor people more broke and Amen. doing dumb things. So anyways, Amen. so uh, Will, I um, appreciate your answer on that and your thoughts. Um, I want to invite you back tomorrow and uh, 
want to answer the following question. How do you develop a leader? In, in our context, this church. So how mm -hmm. do you develop a leader? And uh, it'd be interesting to see, too, how you do it in your church. We can compare notes on that and then see if even uh, outside of the church, if they're just some mm -hmm. transferable principles that we can kind of glean from that. Mm -hmm. And so I want to invite you back tomorrow. But thanks for having us, Village Church. Uh, if you have the chance, share this episode with uh, someone in our church or beyond. would love to um, help you get to know some of the pastors and churches in our area. And it's a really special thing to be on the same thing for Jesus, even though we're in different local churches. So mm -hmm. love you, and we'll see you guys tomorrow. Tomorrow.